Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those who do not know who I am, my name is Kevin Curtis. I'm one of the teachers here at Grace Fellowship. Speaking of which, if you do not have a home on Wednesday night, you are more than invited to our study of the Gospel of John. Um, we have almost finished the public ministry of Jesus getting ready to get into Passion Week. Um, before we get started this morning, um, we as a church have an obligation. That obligation is of prayer and lifting up of others. We see instances of Paul in his epistles hearing of news, whether good or bad, from churches and people that he knows and lifting them up in prayer constantly. It is no secret we have an issue in our world that just happened earlier this week. The Russians invading Ukraine. What I want us to do this morning is take a time and a moment to ourselves to pray for Ukraine. Specifically, pray for the people of Ukraine. Pray for the Christians and the missionaries there. There are several. We also want to keep in mind those who are closely related to the church, who for security purposes, and we don't know what will happen, we want to keep them in our prayers as well. And lastly, and most difficultly, we want to pray for the Russians that God may soften their heart. Not an easy thing to do, but one that's commanded of us. So if you will join me in a few moments of prayer for the people of Ukraine this morning. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, O oh, Sovereign God, O oh, how You are sovereign through the good and the bad. The evilness of man's heart has once again overcome people. Costing the lives of others Ruining families, ruining homes, ruining relationships. Lord, as devastating as this is, this is not a first for this fallen and broken world. Let us remain true and steadfast, praying for the people of Ukraine, for their safety, for their well-being. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are over there. That they may not shy away from the danger, but Lord, lean into it and press on. That they may continue to glorify you through all the trials they may be facing. God, and for the people closely related to this church who are nearby the situation, we lift them up in prayer. Prayer for a peace of mind that can only be found in you. Prayer for their safety. But more so, Lord, prayer for their ministry, that it would help it thrive as people seek to find the peace and the hope throughout this devastation. And lastly, Lord, we lift up the Russians. 
God, soften their hearts. Help them see mere humanity on the other side. Fill their hearts with love, compassion, and with joy for fellow man. Lord, I pray for the believers throughout this entire nation and this entire world that we may fall to our knees in prayer. That we may lift up the people of Ukraine during this time and those also affected here and abroad. God, protect our hearts. That we may not sin against you hating the evil ones, rather expressing love and compassion for them. We thank you for this moment and this opportunity that you have given to us so graciously. Open our hearts, open our spirits, open our minds for you and you alone this morning. God, help us love you. Help us love others. In your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you will, turn to your Bibles to Psalm chapter 34. Psalm 34 is our passage for this morning. If you notice in your bulletin, it says a series of psalms. Uh, I've entitled it this because over the course of the year, Lord willing, I'll have the opportunity to go over and to exposit more of the psalms to you. And I chose the first one to be a psalm of worship. There are many places we could have started. Psalm 1. What it means to be a Christian. Living the life. We could have gone to a difficult one of Psalm 22. But I chose worship for a specific reason. Because this affects our lives each and every day in a positive way. Now, before I get into Psalm 34, the text begs for a little background. Many of you in your Bibles may have a subheading. I read from the ESV this morning. My subheading reads Psalm 34 of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, without context, we may not understand the situation and the circumstances in which David is writing this psalm. We can find this background, and you don't need to turn there, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, approximately verses 1 through 15. At this point, David is later in his life, probably in his 20s or 30s. He has already been anointed as a teenager to be the next king, but running for his life from King Saul. In running for his life, David actually fled to Gath, which is interesting because that's where the enemy camp was. To seek refuge, David went to the enemy. Now, while there, realizing that, well, this situation isn't getting any better, he went before the king and actually acted, pretended to be insane. As such was given the header that says when he changed his behavior. Some said he acted insane. So the king let him go. Then David returned to the land of the Israelites 
and actually was hiding in a cave. We know many caves that David hid in. This isn't your typical cartoon cave where you can just kind of mosey on in. This is more like, for those on Wednesday, similar to our tombs back in the day, but caves you had to crawl into. They were natural. They weren't man-made or man-carved. You'd have to crawl into them. They were damp. They were miserable. So David, man of God, anointed to be the next king, is fleeing from his life from the current king, who wants him dead, and from the enemy in which he acted insane to be released from. Now, before reading, let's try to get into the mindset of David. All of that going on, how would you respond? Everybody was against you. People were literally after you for years and decades already, trying to kill you. I can't say that my response would be quite a joyous one. But thankfully, we have an awesome representation of how our mindset should be from David himself. Let us read Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look on him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The the young lion suffers in want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life? And loves many days, that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil, and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves them, saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. What an amazing psalm from someone going through so much in life. 
as we look this morning, we can actually break up this psalm into two different parts. David gives us a hymn in verses 1 through 10. And he gives us a sermon in verses 11 through 22. David is singing a joyous hymn in verses 1 through 10 and actually gives us a sermon in 11 through 22. This morning we're going to look really closely at verses 1 through 10. Now, I'm no magician. I'm no elite scholar. I always look to those who were before us and who can explain things with exemplary knowledge and understanding. This morning, I will pull several points out of one of Charles Spurgeon's books, The Treasury of David. Many of you are familiar with this work and this writing. Spurgeon does an awesome job describing what is going on in these first few verses. In verse 1, David is resolved. He is fixed. How do we know this? I will bless the Lord. Not I might. Not I should. But rather, I will bless the Lord. Virgin says to Jehovah, and not to second causes, gratitude is to be rendered. To Jehovah, gratitude is to be rendered. When we look at the phrase, at all times, Virgin kind of overdoes it. He says, in every situation, under every circumstance, before, in and after trials, in bright days of glee, and dark nights of fear. All means all, and that's all all means. At all times. Not sometimes, not most times, but all times. Let's look at verse 2. My soul. That's a very controversial word these days, understanding what is a soul. Does a soul exist? Do we each have souls? What happens to our souls after death if if we do have souls? If we do have souls, how do they affect us today? Our soul is the innermost being, one could say the most connected part that we have with God and the Spirit. And what does the soul do? Well, David said his soul makes its boast in the Lord. Not in man, not in his works. He's already killed a massive giant, helped lead Israel's army to victory while the king was too afraid to do anything. David, at this point in his life, could have boasted in many things. Still, he chose to boast in the Lord. Verse 3. I'm going to sit on this one for a while. Magnify the Lord with me. What does that mean to you? How should we respond to that? Magnify. Well, let's look at what we do already. Do you think you magnify the Lord? Do you? Be honest with yourself. You don't have to answer. Do you worship Him in all that you do? 
with every ounce. Speaking of myself, absolutely not. Boy, do I have a lot of work. But then David says something interesting. Don't just magnify, but let us exalt his name what? Together. As one. When we magnify the Lord, we lift up our voices in praise. We give adoration to Him. We thank Him. And that's powerful. We might even can make ourselves feel good. But beware of that. Because are we in it to make ourselves feel good? What are we in it for? To exalt Him. To glorify Him. And yet when we do it together, something amazing happens. Now if you go to a concert that you, of a group you like, okay, it may have been the Beatles for those who got to experience them, maybe the Bee Gees, maybe Guns and Roses, or any modern one, you get a sense of belonging when you're at a concert. Why? Because you know the words. I mean, I don't know many people who wouldn't go to the concert that's like, well, I don't know who this is. But you know the words. You're singing along, and what is everybody else doing? They're singing. Why else would you go? You're not just going to go for, to watch somebody play some instruments. You're going to go to be entertained to join in. And you feel this belonging in this sense. Now flip it to something like in the modern-day winter jam. I know several of our youth I've been before, I know even older people may have gone. There's something amazing when we gather together and worship. Together. I mean, you can jam in your car and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. Listen to K-Love, the same four songs they play. But when you're in that group, singing without shame, how amazing does that feel? pretty amazing. And at that point, you're not thinking about yourself because you're lifting your voice up to the Lord. Now, what's interesting is you don't have to wait once a year for Winter Jam to come along or your favorite group to experience this. You have an opportunity every single week to do the exact same thing. We gather in this house, in this church, to worship, to glorify. That's it. We gather together as one to lift up the name of the Lord. If that's not what you're here for, I'd kindly ask that you check that at the door. Because you're selling yourself short and others short. By not giving your all, by not magnifying the Lord together, Verse 4, David writes, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. We already explained the trials and tribulations that David is experiencing at this time. 
was no surprise that David went to the Lord. But what's amazing is that the Lord answers. Now, it may not have been audible. But when we seek the Lord with authenticity, with reverence, with fear, The Lord more times than not answers. Maybe in situations, happenings in your life. Maybe you've been praying for a family member, a child, except the Lord. That is in good heart and good spirit. And the Lord may answer that prayer. But what we need to remember is that when He may not answer, doesn't mean he doesn't care. Because David goes on to say, and delivered me from all my fears. David was fearful. The Lord answered David and released those fears from him. There are many things that we could be angry about today. The blessing and the curse to have access to news all over the world. We can be upset about our economic situation, our natural resource situation, global war happening. And quickly that can spiral our mindset to one of negativity and spite. But instead, we should approach the Lord, seeking after Him with authenticity, true heart and meaning that He can deliver us from our fears. Verse 5, those who look on Him are what? Radiant. I'm not much of a creative person, but I try to picture what that would be like. What comes to mind for me? Well, I go back in the Bible where Moses begs to see God. So what does God do? Carves a little nook out of a rock, tells him to hide in there. God's Spirit passes by. Moses just barely gets a glimpse of the shadow of what passed. And what happens? He goes down off the mountain and the people are like, dude, what happened? Cover your face. I can't stand to see you, to be with you. Moses was radiant. Now, I may have a little extra shine that looks a little radiant this morning, but the radiance here that we can look at is in ourselves, within our persona, with how we act. Be honest with yourself. Are you a loving, caring, joyful person? Or are you a Grinch or a Scrooge? Some may say I'm a Grinch. But our disposition shows where we're looking. It's pretty easy to tell when somebody is looking to the Lord for guidance, for wisdom, for instruction, or just in praise. Why? Because they're joyful. They're happy. Bad things may come and go. It doesn't sway them. You can also tell when somebody isn't looking at the Lord, isn't seeking wisdom, 
isn't seeking guidance. They're bitter. Church was too cold this morning. Heaven forbid that we came to worship the Lord, but you took away that you were kind of cold for an hour and a half. I'm not praying for Russia, for evil. Love one another. See, our outward actions give us away. You're not really hiding anything. You may keep it inside, which is unhealthy, but you're not truly hiding it from anybody around you. It's quite easy to tell. Let's remember Psalm 34, 5. Those who look on him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. We are always joyful in the Lord, no matter what happens. Pastor Larry frequently gave a terrifying and troubling experience that I pray never happens to anybody, and especially us. The loss of a child. And that was difficult times, and he admits being depressed and angry about it. But when you talk to him, if you get an opportunity, you can see a joyousness and a radiance within him because he keeps his eyes fixed on the Lord. We can go throughout history and explain how in difficult situations people were still remained resilient and joyful. Why is that? How are people able to do that? Because of who they are fixed upon and focusing on. Verse 6, this poor man cried. And the Lord heard him. Now this poor man, this wasn't necessarily speaking monetarily. Now David really wouldn't have had a thing. Um, in that passage, David actually goes to um, a priest within Israel and asks for a weapon because he doesn't have anything. And the only thing that happens to be right there is Goliath's sword. How cool is that? But this poor. What does that poor mean? Poor in spirit. Not looking upon yourself. Rather thinking of yourself as less. Not thinking highly of yourself. That's difficult. It's really hard to do. Especially in today's day and age with social media. We want to put all the good stuff up. We want to show everybody what we've got. We want to exalt in what we've done, what our kids have done, who our family is. It's all good things. But when push comes to shove, when you don't have that humbleness in spirit, it's difficult to get pulled out of the troubles, like David said. How do we know this? Jesus actually taught this. If you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And we will see an example of this. Now, this should be familiar to many if I say Matthew 5. Hopefully that rings a bell. Matthew 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' first really public sermon. And by public, that is a severe underestimate of the amount of people, what was happening, what was going on. 
The Beatitudes are very familiar to us. Starting at verse 3, first words Jesus said, Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus continues by saying, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Jesus teaches us to be joyful. We see the benefit of being poor in spirit, being humble. That humility can be of many ways. Understanding God is sovereign. So hard to grasp. Not sure any of us will ever fully grasp that in our time on earth. He is in control of all things. That poor in spirit can be humility towards others as well. Many of you know I have Chick-fil-A background. I help run a restaurant. Chick-fil-A is known for, in kind of the business world, a model of servant leadership. Founder True Kathy pulled that straight out of Scripture. The example Jesus gave us of being a servant leader. What does that mean? Seeking always to put others before yourself. 100% of the time. Not sometimes, every time. Everyone's always like, how does Chick-fil-A do it? I can go to McDonald's and they can care less about me. And I go to Chick-fil-A and it feels like I've won the lottery or something. Because we ask and we look for people who are willing to put others first. That aren't self-seeking. And what's interesting is we don't have all Christians working for Chick-fil-A. We don't. Actually, majority of them aren't. So if we have unbelievers who do not have the Spirit with them, that are able to put others first at all times, what's our excuse? Why can't we be humble towards one another? Seeking to serve each other. Let's skip on down to verse 8 in Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. On face value, how can we taste? I mean, when we taste, we eat something. What David is saying is this should encompass your entire body. That it should stimulate every sense that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Not refuge in his own opinions. Not refuge in a government. 
sought refuge in other people. Rather, takes refuge, safety, shelter in him. So a little application, more pointed this morning. Who do we worship? This one in a church context is very simple to answer. We worship God. Follow-up question. Do you worship God? Don't use your definition of worship. Look to the Bible. Search the Bible. Seek the Bible. What does God say about worship? Worship in the Old Testament. Worship in the New Testament. The Psalms are full of hymns of worship. We're just scratching the surface this morning. Another question, what is worship? Well, it's giving honor to whom honor is due. Now, honor can mean many different things. Reverence, trust, obedience, giving glory, thanksgiving, praise. So when do we worship? We spoke this morning on the importance of worshiping together. What did David say, verse 1? I will bless the Lord at all times. I help coach leaders at our Chick-fil-A, and we try to teach them a balance of what is called care, which is simple, and candor. For those who don't know what candor is, honesty is a good synonym. Care and honesty. You want to care somebody, and to care for somebody, you sometimes have to be honest. It's not unloving. Is actually loving them more. So balancing the both. Without being and holding too much candor, when we say, when God says, at all times, it means all times. If you're going through some troubling situations, yes, mourn, seek the Lord. But praise Him at all times. If you don't feel like it, boo-hoo. Praise Him at all times. Seek Him. Glorify Him. What do you have to lose? Giving glory to your Creator, your Sustainer, the Sovereign God who created the entire universe. What can go wrong? Yes, death in the family is difficult. Bless the Lord. Finances are a ruin. Bless the Lord. A fellow brother and sister in Christ upsets you. Oh, boo-hoo, bless the Lord. Somebody attacks you. Bless the Lord. Somebody speaks ill of your name. Bless the Lord. When do we worship? At all times. Continue 
to bless the Lord. To close, I'll kind of leave a cliffhanger. How do we worship? What I would like you to do is to take that question. You can write it down on your bulletin. You can put it in the margin of your Bible if you want or on a reminder on your smartphone. But think of that question. How, how do, I wrote, how do we worship? How do you worship? Examine yourself. When we take communion, you're supposed to examine yourself already, so it's better to do it more often. But truly examine yourself. Be humble. Be poor in spirit. Don't think too highly of yourself. Be honest. How do you worship? Hopefully you can say, well, I at least do one thing. But if you don't, be honest with yourself. Say, I don't know if I do worship. If that's you this morning, I think it's time to get on your knees this afternoon. Call it Mark. Call upon the elders. Call it myself. We will help you figure out a way to worship and exalt God. Now with that, I'm not saying everybody needs to worship the same. A little music knowledge for those who may not know. If you have something in unison, which means together, it sounds nice. The exact same notes, the same lines, the same everything. But when you kick in some harmony, which means difference, there's a difference. So you have one person singing one thing, one person singing a different kind of tone or note, and you can multiply that. It actually sounds louder and fuller, more powerful. So when we worship together, let it be harmoniously, not just in unison. We don't need to be like robots singing, holy, holy. No. Exalt in your way. Praise and worship in your way. But when we do it together as a body of believers, it is amazing what is possible. So take the question with you, how do you worship? And think on that this week. Pray on it. Search your Bibles this week. Open your Bibles. Sing this week. Whether it's old, old hymns, whether it's new songs, praise Him. Bless Him at all times. And when we gather next together as a congregation, let's exalt the Lord together. Let us pray. Dear God, Lord, let us magnify You. Help us to exalt Your name forever. Lord, we know that those who look upon You are radiant. It's never too late to become radiant. To look towards you. Let us together exalt your name. We can come up with excuses, God, of many reasons as to why we shouldn't praise you, why we shouldn't worship you, why we should be ill-hearted, why we should be upset. Lord, let's be poor in spirit and not think too highly of ourselves. Because you're still sovereign. You're still the creator. 
You're still the Almighty. Lord, I pray that you rip apart our scarred hearts, our hardened hearts, and soften it for the glory that we should be giving you. Let us seek always to give you the praise. Seek always to bless you. God, help us examine ourselves and how we worship and if we worship you. God, if we don't worship you, God, forgive us. Forgive us. Let us drop to our knees and with the fear of the Lord, ask for your forgiveness. Ask for wisdom and understanding in how to worship you. God, we thank you for all the mercies you've given us. Your mercy is more. Help us love you and love others. In your son's name we pray. Amen.